As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. I'm coming to you from very rainy... Eugene, Oregon. Bruce, you are actually at home for once, is that right? That is true. I am in Southern California, and uh, I'm very glad to be home and on this time zone, by the way. And speaking of people who spent the entire spring on the road, we are pleased to be joined by our friend, Sports Illustrated's Andy Staples, who is the co-host of his own podcast, the Campus Rush Podcast, with another one of our friends, Lindsay Schnell. Andy, welcome to the Audible. Oh, I am honored to be here. Honored. So between the three of us, we've seen every school in the FBS this spring. <laughs> no, Pretty much. No, no, not quite that. But, but the two of you guys in particular, I, I don't have much to contribute here. I have a little bit. Um, the two of you really canvassed the country. And so what we want to do here is have some discussions uh, between the three of us about some of the teams that at least one of us saw. And that includes some really big name programs. Now, if you've been listening to the Audible the last week or so, or if you have a better point, if you haven't, Go back and, and download the last couple episodes. We got into Ohio State, Penn State, uh, West Virginia, Pitt, Stanford, the two L.A. schools. We've hit a bunch of schools already. Now we're going to hit more. And I want to start with the defending national champions, the Clemson Tigers. Andy, you went there. You also, you know, living in Florida, you went to Florida State. I watched Florida State spring game. I want to talk about these two teams who... We've come to expect to contend for that division in the ACC and, and, as, and as an extension of that, the national championship. Wh- wh- I don't know. Which, which team do you think is on better footing right now? That's hard to say. Uh, the game's at Clemson this year, so I might lean toward them. But it seems like Cam Akers is as good as advertised for Florida State, which you know we expect their offensive line to take a bit of a step forward. We expect DeAndre Francois to take a little bit of a step forward. The question was, oh, they're losing Dalvin Cook. What are they going to do? But with, with Patrick and Akers, it might not be much of a drop-off. So I think both of them are going to be playoff-caliber teams. It may come down to who wins that game at Clemson. And, and I'm curious to see how the Clemson quarterback situation shakes out because I went to the spring game. All three guys were live. I couldn't have told you who I'd pick. 
Andy, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about FSU offense. I'm very intrigued by the Knowles. Uh, when I was at the Combine this year, there was a lot of, I would call them almost like complimentary receivers. There was no, you know, no FSU. There was not a great receiver there. Um, right. You know, Travis Rudolph was obviously the biggest name because of some great off-the-field work he did. Uh, but, you know, talking to some of those guys, I think they had three receivers at the Combine, and talking to them, you know, they had mentioned some of the up-and-coming guys. Nyquan Murray was the one they were seemed to be buzzing the most about. But you had a lot of guys there who were, who were former big, big recruits who were just kind of, I want to say, waiting the wings a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what's, you know, who do you think will be the go-to guy, uh, you know, for for that offense? I would think it's Nooney Murray. He he came on at the end of the last season. And he really seemed to develop a good connection with Francois. The the other guy to kind of watch is Auden Tate, who mm-hmm. is Kelvin Huge. Benjamin size. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to to use a phrase, uh, uh, this brings me back to the story of when Bruce saw Kelvin Benjamin in person for the first time. We were it was the the Florida State Auburn national championship game media day, and they had it in the ballroom of the media hotel, which was uh, the Newport Beach Marriott. So pretty tight quarters for an entire football team and a bunch of reporters to walk around talking to them. And so we're all kind of bunched together. I think we were all trying to get some Florida State assistant coaches since they're never allowed to talk. And I remember I was talking to Bruce for a second. Bruce turns around, and Kelvin Benjamin's right there, and the first word out of Bruce's mouth, he just goes, Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> he's yeah i just i mean there's very few guys who are you know you see a lot of big receivers and i remember uh deandre blanket on southern misses deandre brown oh was, yeah was the huge broke his leg on the cart yeah was huge but um kelvin benjamin i think was even was even bigger or even kelvin, kelvin benjamin looked like a defensive end there, there's yeah. no two ways. He look, I mean, yeah, he looked more like a defensive end, whereas, whereas when I'm – DeAndre Brown, when I met him in college as opposed to when he was in high school, looked like a looked like an NBA maybe small forward or, you know, not quite a power forward. But just to see guys, it's almost like, I mean, you know, he really was that, you know, huge. So if Auden Tate is that big, I've only heard he's freaky, but if he's that big um, and he's polished – you know, I, I I really liked what I saw from DeAndre Francois last year. I think I love the idea of how tough he is, and he took some huge shots, and he kept on hanging in there for a young quarterback. Um, I don't know. I, f- I feel like one of those two schools needs to be, you know, I see them as a playoff contender, and I have more confidence right now in DeAndre than I would in, you know, Clemson, you know, breaking in a new quarterback after Deshaun Watson. Would it be crazy to pick Florida State? You know, I mean, not at this point to say, hey, that should be the national title favorite. Well, it's but. interesting how similar those teams are in terms of I do think that the they have the same question mark, the passing game. I mean, Clemson is still as loaded as you remember up front on the defensive line with uh, Dexter Lawrence and those guys, Florida State, even though they lost to Marcus Walker. I think they're pretty confident in their defense. Yeah, front. watch Josh Sweat for them this year. This this could be a big year for him. And then they got a, a freshman named Josh Kando, who, uh, I mean, looks like he was sculpted. Yeah, he broke he broke Scott Van Pelt's heart, by the way. Oh, because he was he, they he was to committed to he was committed to Maryland for a while. I think he's a pretty high academic kid. And then somewhere along the way, Maryland had a, ended up with a really good class anyway. But I think he would have been the 
the the gem of it. By the way, they also, in, in addition to Kando, they also have Marvin Wilson coming in, who's a six five, three hundred thirty pound guy who. You know, and he's gonna people, oh, he's gonna play. He may not start yeah. right off the bat, but he'll he'll rotate in. Brian Burns also stood out in the spring game number ninety nine at defensive mm-hmm. end. So well, he was great as a freshman last year too. So even though Francois, you know, has has proven himself, they had a lot of trouble protecting him last year. That's still a question mark. Who emerges at receiver like you guys talked about? At Clemson, it's more just straight up who's going to be the quarterback. So, I mean, I just think, you know, it boils down to which team develops their passing game better. Yeah, with Clemson, you know, I I think they're going to be okay, really, no matter which of those three guys they start. Uh, Davo said it'd be Kelly Bryant if the season started today, and he certainly looked like he had the best command of the offense, but that makes sense. He's been in it. Uh, Zarek Cooper was redshirting last year, and Hunter Johnson was in high school. But we'll see how that shakes out at the end of camp. I would say if Johnson's ceiling is higher, they may go with Johnson. But uh, they're all ahead of where, say, Cole Stout was the year that he started instead of Deshaun Watson. And I think they learned from that season that you you start the guy if everything else is equal. Instead of start the guy with experience, start the guy with the higher ceiling. The future starts now. That's the lesson, right? That's right. The, the ceiling is the roof. Andy, not to, to, to go way into Florida State, but I'm going to make a segue on this. The, you mentioned that they play at Clemson. They also play at Florida. You live in Gainesville. Um, I don't know. The, Felipe Franks, who has a big arm, is, is another huge guy. He was he really struggled last year in the spring game. This year, it seemed like he put up big numbers. Are you buying the Florida offense? Do you think that they, you know, they've been so bad on offense really for the last six or seven years? Can they be pretty good on offense and and get this team to be a legit top, you know, top five kind of contender? Or are we too far off from that? I think we're we're still a little ways off from that. I do think the complementary pieces on offense are as good as they've been at Florida in a long, long, long time, probably since the Tebow era. But the quarterback thing is still unsettled. I mean, Frank's of the guys on campus, Frank's probably is your guy. But the longer the longer it goes with no announcement from Malik Zaire tells me that they're still trying to get that SEC rule changed to see if they can bring in Malik Zaire as a, as a grad transfer. Explain that for people. I'm still confused about that myself. What's the issue? Okay, so the, S- yeah, the SEC has a rule that says if you have grad transfers who do not fulfill their duties in the classroom, then you get basically a moratorium on taking grad chances for a few years. So Florida had two guys in 2015, Mason Halter and Anthony Harrell, who got suspended for the bowl game for academic reasons. They were both grad transfers. Halter had come from Fordham. Harrell had come from Georgia Tech. And they, so they basically were banned from taking any more grad transfers after that period. Now, remember they took Austin Appleby last year, but that was when Halter and Harrell still had a chance to come out of the, the doghouse academically, but yes, did not. So that's the problem. But the SEC is the only league with that rule. So what the SEC people have said is we probably shouldn't put ourselves at a competitive disadvantage. So there's a chance they'll change that rule in Destin. Well, the SEC, for whatever reason, has always been more restrictive about They're the grad weird transfer. about the grad transfer rule. I mean, the, the rule originally, I don't think they have it anymore, was that you could only take them 
if they had two years. They had two multiple years, yeah. I mean, well, Masoli, that wasn't originally how it was because Masoli got in there. Yeah, they got embarrassed by Masoli. The, the, the first year of the grad transfer, and then they took it away for a little while and it came back. The first year was 06, and that's when Urban Meyer took Ryan Smith from Utah. And Ryan Smith walked right into Florida and started a corner on a national title team. Uh, and I w- you would argue that that was one of the necessary pieces they need needed to reach that point because they were super thin at that position. But, yeah, yeah, after Masoli, I think they got embarrassed and just wanted to tighten it up. But then they realized, well, nobody else is, so why are we doing this to ourselves? I think, I, I think the reason that did it, Andy, was – Stu went on the war path about Jeremiah Masoli and Houston Nutt. Houston Nutt still hates Stu. He still hates Stu. Well, don't take guys who got kicked off the other teams. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that seems like a pretty simple rule to me. Stuart, where's your sense of forgiveness? I know he's in the people helping business. That's right. In general, happened, by the, way. the NCAA this week just, you know, coincidentally, as, as pertains to this conversation, the NCAA just announced yet another one of these panels or committees to discuss the whole the transfer culture. And I think the three of us are probably going to agree that should be a very simple meeting. If they want to transfer, let them transfer. Yeah, and that's not how they're going to look at it because they're stupid. <laughs> they, and, they're they stu- wanna, and they're stubborn and they're they, stubborn they want to keep people from transferring and most importantly they want to pe- keep people from transferring up it's okay when coaches do it really not okay when some mid-major basketball player proves himself and then hops up to a to a high major level there's also like the there's also the argument of well, grad. This isn't what we intended grad transfers to be. It was for people who so legitimate, <laughs> who legitimately wanted to, you know, get a de- take another degree in a different and, degree. Yeah. yeah. So what? It's become a great rule. And here's the thing: in most cases, the person leaving is not in the plans of the place they're leaving. So that coach appreciates the freed up scholarship. It's interesting because. Whatever other NCAA issue you can think of, paying players, uh, well, back when we had the playoff debate, there was always some debate, right, amongst the people who covered the sport. It wasn't like it was universally, I mean, to this day still, it's not universal that the people who cover the sport think the guy should be paid or that there should be a bigger playoff. I don't think you're going to find one person that, that would defend, oh, yeah, I think they should restrict grad transfers. And, and, it's, and it's just such a disconnect between that it's, like, it is the only good rule on the NCAA books, yeah. so naturally they're going to try to screw it up. I mean, I remember standing in the hallway at, the, at that hotel in Dallas where we cover the playoff meetings. This was maybe two years ago, and Carl Benson, Sunbelt Commissioner. Oh, I know, Vernon Adams, they had, that had just happened. And he's like, I'm yeah. not sure that's a good thing for college football. And we're all like, how, how, why, how? What are you talking about? Well, that <laughs> is Vernon that Adams' is actually- fault. People that is actually the one example, though, that when, when Andy said what he said a couple of minutes ago about usually it's a guy who's like expendable or they don't. That's the one rare example where it's like they want well, these people. So I called I called one of the coaches in that league when that happened because I can't even remember which it wasn't Bo Baldwin. Uh, it was one of the other coaches in the league. And I'm, I'm blanking on who it was, but I asked him. He, he's saying, well, it's a problem. It's bad for our league. I said, well, how many transfers have you taken from the FBS? Or from from Eastern yeah, Washington had a bunch of Wazoo yeah. guys. I know that. Yeah, I said how many? Well, and so I said I said how many quarterbacks have you taken from the FBS? He's like, well, that's different. I'm like, how? How is it different? They have more money than us. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that would probably be the reality to them. You know? I do but, understand, but, that, I, but it's the same deal for the player. In the case of the FBS kid going down to FCS, they missed on him in recruiting. They thought he was better than he was. In the case of a Vernon Adams type, they missed on him in recruiting. He was better than they thought. It's I, not the kid's fault. Yeah, yeah, I do understand the coach's frustration of you know we invest in the guy, we develop the guy, and now he's leaving us. I believe, but, me, but they I always it. act like. They always act like they plucked these guys from obscurity. They all had other offers. Well, and it wasn't like they were the only people who found this person. At the end of the day, if the NCAA truly is about the student athlete, then a coach having to replace his quarterback should not be as big a concern as a player getting to fulfill an athlete getting to fulfill his dream. Right. And I thought Dabo Sweeney had the best attitude about it. He says it's till graduation do we part. And once you graduate, do what, do what you do, whether that's go to the NFL like Deshaun Watson or go play somewhere where you can play a lot of snaps like Scott Pagano. Because Pagano would start, what, for 125 teams? I'm actually here in, in Eugene today to talk to uh, Willie Taggart and company, and I don't know that he can talk about that yet. But, yeah, Scott Pagano was good enough to start at the, on the best defensive line in the country until – he got supplanted by a once-in-a-generation freshman. And yeah. then he became a grad transfer, and he's going to Oregon, which desperately needs somebody like him. You know, I think that worked out for all parties. Um, okay, why don't we look at the SEC West, shall we? Uh, all right. Last year, obviously, Alabama towered over the rest of that division, even more so than usual. In your travels, Andy, did you feel like there's anybody in particular who could close the gap this year? If Matt Canada does a good job at LSU, they might be able to. That's the one where, because they have the athletes to hang with Alabama. But now they now they do have the fewest returning starters in the defense. you know, and I think in the whole conference when you look at yeah, offense but I'm, and all, defense. I'm all right with that on offense because, like you're you're counting Leonard Fournette as the starter from last year, not Darius Geis. Darius Geis uh, gonna be just fine. <laughs> yeah, I think the other issue to them, and we'll see how it goes because, Andy, you eyeballed these guys more recently than I did. But, you know, there's really only one receiver with any kind of experience uh, and DJ Chark. He's good. DJ Chark, but, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. that They need Drake Davis or one of those other guys to be good. And they've had these dudes stockpiled. They've just never used them. So I was kind of, you know, with Malachi Dupree, I wasn't surprised that he left. But it's one of those things where if you look at, what's coming in, you might have actually been able to put up better numbers mm-hmm. and gotten drafted a lot higher next year with a with an offense that is actually intending to move the ball down the field. And he ended up having a huge bowl game against Louisville and that was almost like a contract day for him, I guess. And then it was like, hey, I'm going. So but I, I yeah, I agree with Andy on that as well. Yeah, watch, watch Drake Davis. I don't know he may be the Quadri Henderson for this offense. Because remember last Debrie year Henderson. Debra no, no, Quadri, Quadri Henderson, the, the jet sweep guy. Uh, okay, from Pitt, yes. Yeah, from Pitt. Um, so that Canada's offense, most plays, there's a couple things you have to pay attention to every play if you're the defense, and that's one of the reasons it was effective last year at Pitt is they kind of had people's heads spinning. But there's almost, in a, lot of, in a lot of their formations, there's a jet sweep motion, and then there's a tailback coming downhill. So it will be Etling takes the snap, 
can put the ball in the belly of Drake Davis coming on the jet sweep, take it out, and then give it to Darius Geis going downhill, also doesn't have to give it to him, could go throw to Chark on the outside. That's a lot to deal with if you're a defense. Hey, I got some defense. They're letting LSU's – maybe letting LSU's athletes be athletes. I got some decent stuff on this actually on my travels. Uh, One of the places I was at talked a lot about Matt Canada and the offense that said that you're going to see a lot more of, they thought, with these – what makes him such a good offensive coordinator, according to this person I talked to, was because they do multiple tight end and, and multiple mm-hmm. backfield shifts and all these trade with temp, up tempo. And it comes out of, as Andy referred to, uh, fly sweep, reverse fly sweep, all of it. And they said, if you're a pressure team and you do a lot of blitzing, it really screws up the opponent because yeah. you're just kind of like it's going too fast Guys can't – it really gets them on their heels, and it forces them to do a lot of different stuff. And what I was told is some of the stuff that Canada started doing, they started seeing it pop up at other places later in the year as well. So that yeah. was kind of one of these trends that became hot. We'll see what he can do. As you know, as Andy said, I mean, last year he had Peterman, and Peterman was quietly one of the – was a, a revelation for Pitt. We'll see if, uh, if yeah, he can finally get the LSU to, quarterback to go. Yeah, Edling's going to have to do that if Etling's the guy, and I, I would assume he is. Uh, they've got some young guys there, but it looks like Etling's got the job. I'm bullish on Ed Orgeron. I'm bullish on Matt Canada going forward. I can't say I share your guys' optimism for their 2017 team. I look at this list here of guys they lost to the NFL or, or graduated, and, I mean, my gosh, Tredavious White, Jamal Adams, Kendall Beckwith, uh, Lent when has LSU ahead. not had a bunch of good athletes on defense, though? Ethan Postage, Teron Durrell, Malachi Dupree. Anyway, and then Danny Etling, I mean, what's his ceiling there? I, 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 don't, I don't know that he can the be roof. the Nathan Peterman of this year. Congrats, that's your yeah, second what, reference what to would you have, I know. What would you have said about Nathan Peterman coming out of Tennessee? I'm not sure I would have said anything about Nathan Peterman. It hadn't really crossed my mind, but Danny Etling's a little fresh in my mind from last year. He did... He obviously did better than I Brandon think Harris. Andy makes a good point there. Now, I want to couch it, Stu, and say I'm not picking LSU to be a top-five team. I mean, I I'm think they'll either. be— I'm I think they'll be second best in the SEC West. Yeah, I think they'll probably be 9-3 and three again or something like that. Um, I don't think—you know, I don't. I, I think Aranda's as good a defensive coordinator there is, but I don't think they have—you know, Arden Key is a special talent right now on the defense. I'm not sure I see anything else like that in the front seven. So I think they'll be good. I don't think they'll be great. But be hundred percent sure Arden Key will be part of the. We're pretty sure. Yeah, pretty sure. basically sure. I mean, it's they are they are expecting him to be there. So there's a bunch of teams in the SEC West that I I want to buy, but they've burned me before, so it's tough. And for me, it's Auburn. You know. Uh, yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> it's hard not to get excited about Jared Stidham, and you feel like. I don't think Gus Malzahn forgot how to coach offense. He was the offensive guru, and then suddenly he didn't have a quarterback for a few years there. I don't buy that, oh, he'll just end up being the next Jeremy Johnson. We've seen Stidham do it. So, I mean, that's the team I want to say is the biggest challenger to Alabama, but obviously I'm a little gun-shy about them, just like I'm gun-shy about A&M. Well, I think it, it their defense is, is kind of part of the equation that you don't hear a lot of people talking about. That defense was very good last year kept them in a lot of games, and the guy that I don't know ever got the credit he deserved on, in that was Montrevious Adams. That dude was a beast inside. We know what Carl Lawson can do. 
But that guy was a beast. And then you had Marlon Davidson as a freshman having a really good year. But I, I will say, I mean, it feels like they should have a pretty good pass rush this year because Davidson's back. Uh, Jeff Holland is sort of that hybrid buck linebacker pass rusher guy. They moved they can, former uh, number one. Yeah, Byron Cowart is inside now. My, Byron Cowart, by the way, is one of those eyeball guys where you look and go, how old is that guy? Like, I remember seeing yeah. him in high school. He looked like he was a 28-year-old NFL player. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where the the stuff coming out of spring was sometimes it's all right, sometimes it's not. So I don't know that the light has come on quite yet, but athletically the talent's there. He's just got to put it together. How is Trey Matthews still in college? Wasn't he part you're, of You're the, mixing him up with Trey Blackman? No, no, who, no, no, no. Who played at Auburn. The, <laughs> or you're mixing him up with Jordan Matthews who played have, at they always have. They always have a T-R-A-Y Trey playing on defense there. Wasn't Trey Matthews on the other end of the um, Miracle Georgia, Jordan yeah. hair? Yeah. Was 13. Oh, okay. I guess if he was a true freshman, yeah. Yep. Andy, if you had to rank these teams right now, mm-hmm. uh, and I know you, I don't think you said you were at Auburn, but uh, Alabama one, then who would be two, three, four in the SEC West for you? LSU, Auburn, but those could flip flop, just because I, I don't, I don't know about Auburn. I just, I, it's one of those I want to see it first, um, and then who's and four, then, and then Mississippi State. Ah, I'm with you there, Andy. I'm I'm like Nick Fitzgerald is really good, really really good, good. and and look, Mullen's proven it at this point. You know, everybody picks them, always picks them to finish seventh. They'll probably be picked to finish seventh again, and they never finished. What was their record last year, though? They were were six and seven, seven, right? They went to remember they went to a bowl game because their APR and beat Miami of Ohio barely, uh, barely beat Miami. The former Beefo Brady's bowl, yeah. But remember, down the stretch, they beat. A&M, when A&M was uh, still considered a playoff darling, and then obviously kept Ole Miss out of a bowl game with that win. So, I mean, they yeah. closed well. So I'm high on them. Give me one reason why I should be optimistic about Texas A&M right now. I'm struggling to find it. They don't have as much pre- Well, they have pressure on them in that. They have pressure on the head coach, I, coach, I will say that. The players aren't coming in with huge expectations. There's no Miles Garrett. There's no quarterback. There's no Trevor Knight having to come in and be the savior. I don't think you're helping here, Andy. I, I, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying I'm going to give you any good reasons. This is I'm from a guy you, who I'll picked give, them I'll to give go. You, yeah, this is from a guy who I'll, picked them to go to the playoff two years ago, and was still pretty high on them last year. Thought for sure. You, Stu, I'm going to give you a reason to be optimistic. I don't think that's necessarily going to be a reason for the, them to try to be a top ten team. But that reason is. Physically, the receivers are really gifted. It's not, yes. you know, you start Hasn't with that Christian been the case Kirk. for like five years. Yeah. It has, yeah, it has been. Yeah. But I think Christian Kirk is probably better than anybody because now he's in his third year. He's better than anybody they had since Mike Evans. I think Jamon Osborne is a guy. He does. He's going to be like great. Freshman. Yeah, I think he's yeah. a really big, physical, dynamic guy that they haven't had in the last couple of years. They've had big guys. Um, but Ricky Seals Jones was a disappointment. Uh, you had Speed and All, who had all kinds of issues off the field and was not mature enough to play. So I think yeah. that they they have some firepower. And also, you know, one of the bright spots they had last year was their freshman tailback, Travion Williams, was pretty dynamic. He's only gotten a little stronger. I think he should be good. But 
that's where I kind of draw the line. I don't, I don't, right. I'd be surprised if they get past eight wins this year. They've got some depth on the, on the interior D line that should be good. Yeah. Got three yeah, safety yeah. back, but Osmond is, is probably the, the one who's going to be kind of the breakout star because I, I remember seeing him, uh, him at IMG Academy spring practice last year and like, you know, that's a team of five-star guys. And he looked a bit different from them. Like, it's like, who let the college senior on the field with the high school players? Yeah, he looks, I mean, I just remember thinking, the only other freshman receiver I, I saw in the last few years who kind of is that kind of specimen physically is Nikhil Harry at Arizona State, who I think is even bigger. Nikhil Harry looks like a looks almost like a linebacker, whereas you know this other kid's six two, almost two twenty, but very smooth. You know, when I I was out there for some of their seven on seven stuff the other day, and he's the one guy when the ball hits his hands and he catches it, you barely hear it, which mm-hmm. is a pretty good sign. Um, and the fact that he doesn't have to be the number one guy. I mean, they have some other guys who are still pretty talented. But uh, I don't know. It's like like we're talking about. That is a very hot seat right now. Well, yeah. I mean, look, you can't go four and four in the league again. You just can't. And I'm not sure where you find the five wins. Something's got to change intangibly. I, and I, obviously, I can't put my finger on it. But they've had the talent. Isn't that the nature of Isn't that the nature of intangibly that we can't put your finger on it? That was a bit of an oxymoron, wasn't it? Um, Yes, I, I, something's got to change beyond just. I mean, they've they've had the players for a couple years now. They just haven't gotten it done, and it's always been for whatever reason that they fade down the stretch, which leads to people saying, "Well, they weren't tough enough. They weren't conditioned well enough." Well, they did make those changes. There's a new entire new strength staff came in from Florida State, and I think that was another reason why internally they have some optimism. But we'll see. Well, of course, the one year I write them off, they'll probably go ten and two. I, I figure we, we got to do some serious new strength coach cliche stories with Texas A&M and Tennessee having new strength staffs. I mean, it is time. I haven't seen a good new strength staff cliche story in a long time. Can I uh, throw these guys, throw these at you? These, these would be their, their toss up games. Since we're doing this, Stu doesn't like this. But yeah. Andy, you're on board. So sure. Okay. So they open at UCLA. They're going to win that. Stu. Yeah, we went over that with UCLA schedule. Yes, I think they're gonna A&M is gonna win that. Okay, host Arkansas. Uh, that's in Jerry World. Uh, okay. I I don't know. Because I, I, I think Arkansas is gonna be better this year, and I like Austin Allen a lot. So. Ah. Sounds like Andy's leaning towards Hogs, which I, I think which I, I might go be Hogs too. on that one. Yeah. Well, you know, th- let's pause for a second here. We've just had a whole discussion with the SEC West and never even mentioned Arkansas. And, uh, no. It's because nobody went there. Nobody no. had the sous vide pork chop at Theo's. <laughs> but I certainly think they'll, they'll be in the mix. In the mix for what? To, win, to come in? For fourth? <laughs> yeah, or exactly. Second. For fourth. Or for <laughs> okay. third or fourth. And then we didn't mention Ole Miss, who... Have, They're going to score a bunch of points yeah, yeah. and give up a lot of points, but we don't know what their situation is going to be by the time the season starts. Can you let me finish my silly little exercise, please? Uh, all right, so Andy's given Arkansas the game. Stu has given Arkansas the game. Uh, at, they host South Carolina the following week. A&M wins that one. Stu, okay. They host Alabama. A&M loses that one. Okay. 
Then they go to Florida. They're going to go one and two over the next stretch. Okay. So, Stu, do you think they lose that? uh, I will give that one to Florida. Okay. Then they have a bye week, and then they host Mississippi State. Hmm. Swing game. Uh, I say they get revenge. Okay. So, yeah, I've got them going one and two there. So how many losses? I've, I've given them four losses already. I've given them four conference losses already. Yeah. Before they played Ole Miss and LSU. Well, here's the so. thing. So they have, they're going to have four games at the end. You're missing the Auburn game the following week. No, no. I said they'd go one and two on the Florida-Mississippi State-Auburn stretch. Oh, okay. Okay. Which means they're going to go one and three because the week before that you got them at Alabama. Yeah, I said they'd lose against Alabama, yeah. All right. Uh, Stu at Ole Miss and at LSU. Uh, I say they split that. Stu would have them at eight and four then, which is I think kind of optimistic. Four and four in the league? Are you paying all that money to go four and four in the league? Well, That's you have a new AD also, problem. who I don't think I don't think would be on board with for that. He's not. I mean, he said in a you know in an interview on the record on the radio with us last year that eight and five isn't good enough. Bruce, I have them at three and five in the SEC. You have them at three and five in the SEC. I, I thought have you had them at South Carolina, Mississippi State, and, and Ole Miss. either Ole Miss or LSU. Okay, so wait. They've never it? beaten LSU since they joined the SEC. By the way, it is a bad matchup for them. Yeah, it was. I was at that game last year. They blasted Mr. Chavis's defense all over the yeah, place the, in that the game. Johnny, the Danny Johnny Etler, was the only game it was close. Danny Etling looked like looked like a Manning in that game against that against AM's defense. And that was yeah. your glimpse of maybe what it could look like this year. Um, but that was like kind of out of character with the rest of the season. Yeah. All right, Stu. You're the only one who's made the pilgrimage to Seattle. Give us the scoop on Washington. Tell us why you think Colin Coward is jumping the gun by putting USC in the playoff. So having now eyeballed uh, USC, Washington, and Stanford, you know, I, I think Washington will pick up right where it left off. Uh, Jake Browning's back out there. He, they limited him the first couple weeks uh, coming off the surgery. He's back out there slinging it. They have a, just a nasty pass rush still. Uh, even though they lost, you know, Buda Baker and Sidney Jones and Kevin King in the secondary, they think they're still going to be pretty decent there. Um, so, I mean, and just faith in Chris Peterson. So I think they're still going to be really good. But if we're being honest, the, while they won the Pac-12 championship last year, the best team in the Pac-12, I think we would agree by the end of the season, as proven head-to-head, was USC. And I think that may still be the case. Uh, Stu used the word faith a minute ago in Chris Peterson. I'm, I'm with that. I'm on board yeah, with that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm certainly with that too. The question I would have then is, do you have enough faith in Clay Helton as the head coach to lead USC into the playoff? Or do you lean on the guy you just said, who I, I think we'd all agree is probably a top five coach in Chris Peterson? Right. So nothing against Clay Helton, but I think we would agree that Chris Peterson is the infinitely more proven coach at this point. Well, we're also forgetting another very proven coach in the league named David Shaw. David Shaw. Worth noting, by the way, uh, Washington and SC do not play in the regular season. You know, Stanford, to me, is going to be really good as well. Uh, They didn't jump out at me athletically quite to the extent of those two teams, though oftentimes, you know, you get a little uh, 
Stanford catches you by surprise in that regard. I'm also concerned with Stanford about the fact they're leaning so heavily. They're depending so heavily on Keller Chris to come back strong. Well, that, what, what concerns me a little bit with them is they lost by far their best players on both sides of the ball last year. And they do have a quarterback question mark going in. You know, I, I'm i not ready to jump all the way. I mean, I think a little bit like it could be a, a, like LSU nine and three kind of year. I don't I don't think they're more than that. Can I give you guys a little Chris Peterson tidbit? So this was the first time I've watched a Chris Peterson team practice. I don't know if either of you have. Mm-hmm. Um, he's known as like a stickler for detail, right? At the end of practice. You know, and this is this part's not unusual, right? A lot of teams like the field goal kicker has to make the field goal, or everybody's gonna have to run. So, a field goal kicker makes it, everybody celebrates, and then they're coming to the, you know, they're supposed to come down into the field and take a knee. Well, they didn't take a knee in unison the way Chris Peterson hope, would hope prefer. So, they had to run back to the sideline and do it all over again. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Like, he, he even cares about whether you take the knee right. Right. I mean, they. They play like that, though. Yeah. They're, they're always detail-oriented. They don't make mistakes. They're rarely out of position. I mean, that's how you get more out of maybe not as good athletes as some of the teams you play. Now, the thing with Washington is they can get some of the same athletes, which the longer this goes, the more I wonder, you know, are they going to be here year in, year out? I think. I mean, they're athletic at this point. That's not even a question, right? I mean, look at the guys who – uh, from last year's team, like John Ross and Buda Baker, who are going off to the NFL. So it's not a Boise State overachiever situation at this point. They, they're getting the players. I think the recruiting rankings would say they're not getting the players USC is, but the recruiting rankings said that for many years, and USC didn't deliver on it. So uh, it'll be interesting. I definitely think that those three teams are the uh, class of the Pac-12 this year, though Bruce may make an argument for Leach's guys. Uh, no, I'm not sure. I mean, I think they're probably like an eight and four team. You know, I think they'll be good because obviously, you know, they have a good quarterback with Luke Falk. I don't know if they're big enough on defense up front to, to be able to stay with some of the top teams, you know, out in the Pac-12. Yeah, I, I, I also think Colorado is going to take a little step back in the uh, different division, obviously, but mm-hmm. losing Levitt to Oregon. Losing Lufau. All those yeah. seniors they had on defense. I think they're going to take a big step back, actually. And, of course, Utah is the team we always overlook and then always turns around and, and is in the playoff rankings. Well, they, they've got to they've got to show they can do it for a whole season. But you think at some point they, they are going to put it together where they can they can sustain that. They did lose, by the way, a lot of really good players. I mean, including Joe Williams. Yeah. Including Joe Williams, they lost some really good offensive linemen. Garrett Bowles probably w- would have been the top offensive tackle if he came, if he stayed another year. Uh, they lost some really productive defensive linemen. They lost a great safety. I mean, I thought they lost a lot. You know, we should note that they Bruce, have a lot of holes to replace. Bruce was the sideline reporter for half of Utah's games last year. So if he's down on them, then I'm then I'm jumping. Bruce has, Bruce has 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 come around. The, the, my biggest thing. To uh, to working sideline is I think I have a crush on Utah football because you see <laughs> how physical they are. They beat the you only, up, yeah. The only thing that really holds them back from being what I think is you know a legitimate top ten, top five kind of team was they've been very very average at quarterback the last you know I don't know probably since Alex Smith has been gone. No love for Brian Johnson. Uh, you know what I, I shouldn't have said that, but I mean it's been a while. It's been I mean, a while. Well, you remember you know, Travis Wilson wasn't that, that guy. That was nine Troy years Williams. ago, by the way, Brian Johnson. 
Brian Johnson was in Houston when we were both down there now as, as basically yeah, a co-OC quarterback coach. Yeah. yeah. They thought they had that guy a few years ago, if you remember. Jordan Wynn. That was a long... Jordan Wynn last played for Utah in 2012. That was five years ago. Um, speaking of Utah quarterbacks, I, I saw all these spring football updates uh, from the Utah people I follow, and I, every time it threw me when I saw Cooper Bateman's name in these updates. Oh, He's yeah. not even expected to be the guy. I thought he was like maybe third team, because I know they really are like Tyler Huntley, who's a Florida kid who came in last year. He may want to, Bateman want, may want to play another position, because he's very athletic. He's really safety. Receiver, safety, something like that, yeah. Why would, Bruce, why would Troy Williams not be automatically the guy? Because he's been pretty shaky. I mean, I think accuracy and consistency are a big question. Now, I know Kyle Whittingham loves him character-wise, came in as a captain. Uh, You know, I remember we did one of our pregame interviews the day before, and, and I asked Kyle Whittingham, who's the guy who most reminds you of you? And he said Troy Williams, which is, which is, you know, high praise, but, you know, they had a lot of big athletic receivers and they, they were just very shaky in the passing game. And we'll see what happens. Obviously new offensive coordinator, Troy Taylor, uh, former Cal QB, who I think was, uh, was Jake Browning's quarterback uh, coach growing up. So, you know, he has a pretty strong resume and we'll see what he, what he can get done there. Cause it's, like I said, that's the area where I feel like that's the only thing that's really held them back from being, from being a legit top 10, top five kind of team. Cooper Bateman, by the way, uh, and then we'll wrap up our Utah conversation here, attempted five passes in the spring game, which is not a good sign. And then he, his quote is, I'm a third string quarterback right now. That's pretty evident. So <clears throat> I guess that's a reason why we didn't see him emerge as the uh, Alabama quarterback. All right, guys, uh-huh. you both went to Texas. You both... Uh, well, Bruce at least saw the magnificent $10,000 locker uh, right there. I didn't get to see that. Uh, I'm disappointed. By the way, a 43-inch flat screen is available at Best Buy right now for 229 bucks. so I don't know exactly what they're paying for there. That's like it's like that scene in Independence Day when Jed Hirsch says to get Jeff Goldblum, you don't really think they paid $4,000 for a hammer, do you? Some of the stuff in there, Andy, t- the pictures don't do it justice. I'm not saying this is money I would have spent, but so when you take the helmet off there, off the what looks like the little mini mannequin, there is a constant uh, fan in there underneath the helmet. Same with the gloves. So all those things that you know the the technology they said. Well, I will is tell so, you the fan the fan under the gloves is crucial. Well, because here's what, gloves that get wet and then don't dry out in a uniform fashion stink are disgusting well they stink but also here's the here is actually a key part of this is the materials that are there so MRSA cannot cannot fester in the locker which is a legitimate concern uh Mm -hmm. when you looked at the uh the foot locker area the trainers the uh, equipment guys were consulted so the way it will be cleaned is much more uh, equipment guy friendly, so there's not lots of little pebbles and grass that they have to go in and try to scoop out. Um, I don't know. The, to me, the TV monitor was the thing that was so over the top, just because. Well, here, here's what you do. So they're big on you know how you carry the football, and what they would do at Houston is they would they would take a screenshot of a guy who carried a carried the football in a lackadaisical manner, and they'd print it out and post it all over the locker room. Now they can just have him doing that. 
on video on a loop when he walks in and you realize, oh man, I got to clean that up. Okay, I have two questions about that about that monitor. First of all, is that is it? it can you only show highlights? So like, like, can I turn it to ESPN if I want? And it seemed like it was just set to be, and that that was a locker for Gerard Hurd. That was like kind of the prototype. And that was really just set to, I'm sure you could probably program whatever you want, but I don't think it's going to be like. Yeah, you'd have to attach a, it to a cable box or a, yeah. or a TV box to okay, get it. Well it's then just that, really like a nameplate. That leads to my board. second question. If you're Gerard Hurd, how many days into it would it be before you get sick of watching your highlights of yourself on loop? Oh, I'd be sick of it. Yeah, probably pretty the second instantly. Day. But like I said, they can use it as teaching tools if you mess up. Or if it's a guy who needs a confidence boost, you have like his, something he did great at practice the day before, just running on a loop. All right, sorry. I didn't mean to, uh, to uh, rain on the People parade. want to hear about the lockers. They don't care about the quarterbacks. The locker, so, so Andy, and you, you can figure this out easy enough, but when, uh, you know, when you're on the road, you, you're just kind of working or whatever. So I think I took the shot. I tweeted it out, and then I went about my business. I think I was supposed to sit <laughs> you down had with no him, idea. You know? Well, I had I had a little idea, but I got a text from Stu um, saying something about this thing is blowing up. It's all the people talking about pay for play or whatever. But I had no idea how like it would be a constant thing of for the whole weekend. That thing was absolute candy for the pay the players crowd. Like you're spending ten thousand dollars on each guy's locker. Why not just write well, them a, a check? It's a pretty obvious thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's not just that, though. I think it was candy for the people going, Kansas, you do this. And so here's where I want to go with this. So I'm working on a story just about the fine line. And I'm not sure how fine of a line it is, but Tom Herman has to walk where a lot of people would say this screams entitlement. And for a program that has had that issue and kind of been kind of been torpedoed by it in the last, you know, six or seven years. You know, you're are you sending the mixed message? And that's well, the it's funny because you that people say that, but up until a few days ago, Kansas had a nicer locker room than Texas. Mm-hmm. So, were the Kansas players entitled? I mean, so you got money, you got to spend it on something, otherwise, Uncle Sam's going to come along. So, why not? Well, the, <laughs> the, the, the if Texas you're going to have players... stupid rules, get some nice stuff for them. The, the Texas players, you know, it's towards what Andy said, you know, the locker room had and the facilities used to be awesome. And that was probably when Major Appleway was playing. And it's still impressive, relatively speaking, but not compared to a lot of the programs they're recruiting against. And, you know, they got you go from being ahead to behind. And that's something that happened. But Puna Ford, I remember I asked him pretty much point blank. You know, do you think this would be the difference? between, you know, a kid would actually make his decision on where he goes to college based on who has the fanciest locker. And he said, yes. He goes, everything counts. So. Well, it's interesting because Puna Ford had a chance to go somewhere where they had fairly new facilities at Louisville, but he decided to follow Charlie Strong to Texas. So it all counts, but for Puna Ford, it was the head coach. Didn't, yeah. I think he's talking about Okay, for some kids, this is the thing that is going to catch their eye. Right, and, and some so, kids, it's jersey number. It can be something as silly as that. Yeah, and and Tom Herman did say, uh, you know what, we're going to make it every our facility state of the art and as first class as much as possible. 
And, and this is, I think, the key part. There will be no reason from a facility standpoint for some recruit to want to go someplace else. And, right. They don't want it to be an excuse. And I think he also relishes, as he's a big social media guy, as we all know, he relishes the opportunity to kind of give people something to buzz about, just much like Jim Harbaugh does. Well, the other thing about this is while we're buzzing about the lockers, we're not asking questions about how do they not be five and seven. Oh, he was getting he was getting hit with those oh, questions a lot. I got plenty of questions along those. All right, so you know, I, there was a lot of talk about the quarterbacks. Did do you think did Shane Michelle, Shane Bichel really not? Is he really not the entrenched starter after playing pretty well as a freshman? Or like is Tom Herman just doing this to you know like many coaches? Hey, I'm the new code. Nobody's job is safe. Or Shane Bichel really possibly might not be their starting quarterback next year. I don't. Th- I I think Shane Bouchelle is a clear leader. He was sh- he was much sharper in practice. I think the things that Tom Herman is pushing. First of all, they only have two scholarship quarterbacks. That's an issue. Second, he's really pushing Shane Bouchelle to become more vocal and much more of a leader. And I think this is these are ways he's doing it. And I don't think you want to sit there and say, okay, we're naming this guy the starter. I'm not saying Sam Ellinger would turn around and leave, but. You know, that would leave him with one scholarship. So but I it's risky, and it's invested. in the state of Texas, and that thing happened at AM a few years ago, so yeah. you got to be a little careful. Um, anything else, Texas, before I turn to Tuberville? I, I, think, I think they could be pretty good this year. I think talent-wise, they're, they're a lot better than they have been. I think that I've made this comparison many times, but I, I think it, it rings true. Uh, Charlie Strong is in the Ron Zook role, and and Tom Herman's in the Urban Meyer role. Like when Zook was fired at Florida, and Meyer took over. The players the way, that Herman yeah. inherits are coming of age at exactly the right time. Which gives Tom Herman good. I mean, Tom Herman's a really brilliant coach, but Tom Herman had good timing at Houston as well. Yes. Tony Levine left some really good talent there. Yep. Well, you know, what did Charlie Strong say? He baked the cake, and now somebody gets to slice it. I think that was the quote. He was talking about slicing the cake. Slicing or icing? Icing. Icing the cake. You get, mm-hmm. Tom Herman gets to ice the cake. Well, you ice it and then you slice it and then you eat it. Yeah. yeah. Or sometimes in my case, you don't slice it first. <laughs> you just gobble it. <laughs> Andy, well, okay, I, Andy. I'm counting calories you... right now, so I'm actually in, in a little bit of pain even thinking about food, but. We'd Feel be remiss if we don't time. ask you what was what was the best meal you had on this road trip. Ooh, man, there were some good ones. Uh, Kuyan's Barbecue in I believe it's called Port Charles, Louisiana. It's it's basically just just across the Mississippi River, just west of Baton Rouge. Uh, fantastic barbecue place. They did everything pretty well. Um, the the most interesting one I thought was uh, David Bassey, the SID at Houston, took me to. A place is this a Tex-Mex place no 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 this is this is a uh, basically a lunch counter in the back of a Mexican grocery store and I've got to look up the name because I'm gonna get it wrong but it's basically like cafe hot water or something like that but they serve real gorditas and if you've never had a real gordita it is unbelievable um, so what they do at Taco Bell you know, it's it's shameful. Like, 
I don't understand why, because somebody from Taco Bell, I'm assuming at some point was in Mexico or was eating at a place in California or Texas and had a real gordita and was like, oh, this is awesome. Let's take away everything that's good about it. No, no. I think you're giving that guy a little too much credit, right? I really believe that about once a year, Taco Bell executives get into a room and go, how do we take these same seven ingredients and remarket them as something else? No, because somebody had to know that it was called a gordita. Oh, sure. They had to see it somewhere. So the place is called uh, Carniceria Aguas Calientes. So hot water meat. Um, but it's basically a big long lunch counter behind the wall of a Mexican grocery store that you would not find if you did not know you were going there. And what a real gordita is is very similar to what a real pita is. Like if you actually – if you get a real pita, you don't wrap it around the stuff that goes inside. You stuff the stuff inside it. And so they're making essentially cornmeal pitas. They stuff them with cheese or with uh, cheese and al pastor or cheese and beans or cheese and carne asada and then cook it on the flat top grill. And what results is is basically handheld heaven, and it's three dollars and fifty cents a piece. It's it's amazing. Let me ask you. No. Let me ask you guys' opinion on something. So, obviously, I'm not the foodie that Andy is, but I'm happy to go to these kind of places by by any means. But last night I arrived in Eugene late. It's pouring. I mean, you know, don't want to be on the road kind of weather. And there's an Outback across the parking lot from my hotel. Go to the Outback. Sometimes so, chains are I like Outback. I'm, well, that's I, why I, I was like going to ask Outback. you guys. Where, yeah. where is Outback on your hierarchy of chain restaurants? It's pretty high for me. I like Outback just yeah. fine. Yeah. On the chain restaurant things, to me, Outback is Outback is, is outstanding. I know what I get. I, I'm totally comfortable with that. The, it's uh, – you know, like it's not like we're talking about like the chain restaurants. Are you going to call like Fleming's a chain restaurant or more? No, I think they're That's more in the high end steak. They, they're more in the category of Applebee's, Chili. Like what is it? Oh, right. it's way in, that better than those. in that outback category, I would prefer Logan's Roadhouse or Texas Roadhouse, just because I love the rolls. But Andy, where was that place you took me in Indianapolis because you love the bread? Remember, it was like a funky kind of dinner roll. Huh. We went with Andrew Siciliano. And oh. Oh no, that wasn't because I love the bread. That was the the Weber Grill. Yeah, that's right. That's because I like the beer can chicken. I thought it was a pretzel roll or something like that. You really like which one of those Uh, chain chain mid level chain steakhouses is the one where they throw peanuts on the ground? That that'll be Logan's and Texas Roadhouses. I think they're owned by the same parent company, but their their steaks are actually for because there's a difference between aged and non aged beef, like. If you're going to Fleming's or Ruth's Chris, you're getting aged beef. That's why it's so much more expensive. Non-aged beef is what you buy in a grocery store. That's what you get at Outback, Texas Roadhouse, whatever. And look, it's delicious. If you buy a a, a ribeye at Logan's Roadhouse or Texas Roadhouse, it's still tasty. I agree. And it's like 15 bucks. If you're listening, people at Outback, we're always looking for new sponsors on the podcast. We know you sponsor a bowl game. Hint, hint. Andy, are you a Papacitos fan or not? Yes, love Papacitos. Love the shrimp the brochette. Uh, the shrimp brochette is my favorite dish there. They take a giant shrimp, stuff jalapeno and cream cheese next to it, wrap it in bacon, and then grill it. 
and they give you that on a skewer with a little cup of drawn butter. And you know what? Everything they, they have they, they there is too tasty. It must be doused in butter, including the steaks and everything. <laughs> Bruce like loves Papa's. I like it too, a lot. Bruce loves it so much that he plans his connections at DFW around going to Papa's. Well, I will, yes, I will make a point to go to seek out that gate to go find it. Hey, real quick, Andy, before you go, we wanted to ask you, you talked to uh, Alabama gubernatorial candidate Tommy Tuberville recently. Is this happening? Is Tommy Tuberville... He sure he seems like in. he's leaning toward it. Yeah. He's he's got to he's got to figure it out here in the next month, because starting in June you can begin raising money for a campaign. So he would need to be announced as a candidate uh, by June to start raising money. But he certainly seems to want to, and he, he seems to be going straight out of the Donald Trump playbook. Uh, I think he watched the way Trump won the general election, and or well won the Republican primary first, and then won the general. And he's he's going he's using that the basic strategy is run down the current state of affairs, which given the state of Alabama politics is not hard to do, and just say, I'm not from this, I'm not of this, I can come in and make it better. And given what's happened in Alabama, that might be a message that voters, you know, it would resonate with them. Well, I would think right now, after the scandal with the governor, uh, the former governor now. I would think yeah. an outside candidate would be extremely appealing. And you said straight out of the Donald Trump playbook. It also seems like he doesn't really have any set policy no. ideas. He just wants to No, but then, then again, neither does anybody else uh, that, that would be running against him at this point. So you know, we'll, we'll see if any of them get specific at all. But the thing is, so it's ba- it would basically be June to June because you look at the way the elections have gone there in the past you know, 20 years or so. The winner of the Republican primary probably will win the general, unless Nick Saban decides to run as a Democrat. Well, that to me so, is the most amazing thing, or the most interesting thing here is, can the former coach of Auburn win over, can he get Alabama fans to vote for him? Yeah. Because st- he dominated them. Are they still bitter about it, or has enough time passed that they kind of like him now? I, I think there's some people, there, there will be some people who are that into the rivalry, but I don't think it's that many people. And I also think there's going to be some people who respect the Iron Bowl as an institution, and the fact that he won six in a row is actually a plus for him, even if they're Alabama fans. So I, I don't know that it's going to be that. I think it would it would be more of do I think this guy could actually run the state? I think I, I want to, I'm going to give the voters of Alabama a lot more credit than than most people will. I think they would probably look at it as do I think he could run the state? Fair enough. Um... I think we hit everything we wanted to hit and then some. I mean, if you didn't enjoy that Papacitos discussion, I, I, you know, I, we can't help you. I mean, that's... Shrimp brochettes. Oh, my goodness. That's some good food. Uh, first of all, for next episode, please send us your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. As always, if you enjoy The Audible, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And Andy, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us today. Plug something. Uh, you can read my stuff at si.com. Uh, please subscribe to the Campus Rush podcast and go ahead and subscribe Sirius to SiriusXM while you're yeah. at it. Cause I, I, when can the good people hear you on SiriusXM? Uh, every Sunday night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, and then periodically during the week when somebody needs a day off. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.